Welcome to Highly Functioning, a show about exploring, understanding, and optimizing the mind from a non-neurotypical lens. On this week's episode, we talk about the fight-or-flight response, why we have it, what we use it for, and why this is at the core of causing other issues in our current environment, and the ways in which you can correctly program that response. Key points that we touched on was the importance of training to automatize your actions in high-stress situations, changing the environment to be more conducive to proactive as opposed to reactive thinking, and noticing the fight-or-flight response in yourself and in others through how it presents in the body. As always, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcasting app. Follow us and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash highlyfunctioning. And if you like our content, consider supporting us at highlyfunctioning.ca. There, you'll find bonus content, Q&As, and be able to provide direct input on how you can change a show. Hey, David. Hey, Winston. How are you, my man? It's all right. Some, some interesting integrations going on in my brain, some interesting, you know, churnings, but uh, it's good. Same on my end, uh, trying to work some things out, something together. Um, so... Today's topic for today uh, is <laughs> is the fight, flight, or freeze response. Um, and the reason uh, I thought about this topic is it's something that I've been thinking about recently um, because um, it's something that we often find ourselves in, uh, where we consistently think about whether you have to run from a run from a situation where you have to sit down and fight, or you just freeze. And it's something that is relevant to how we lived our lives in an earlier life, like agrarian hunter-gatherer lifestyle, where it was really, really important as a means for survival. But in the situation that most human beings find themselves in today, it's not as applicable because we don't find ourselves in fight, flight, or freeze responses uh, or freeze situations as often. And so I thought it would be um, a nice uh, episode to talk about that specific response, where it might be used or where it might be applicable, where it's not, and uh, what you could be uh, using that response for or how you can manage it in uh, your daily life. Yeah, and so that's an interesting thing. The two things that come to mind in particular are values and mindfulness, right? So values, that's what's at stake when you have this response, right? So this, the idea is, you know, when we were whatever, animalistic, prehistoric beings or whatever it is, um, what was what values did we have then? We had our life, basically, and maybe, you know, a few part of our community. And so if that value was at stake, it was a life or death thing, right? And so, oh, there's a, um, and so that like, when you have these quick responses, it's because something important is at stake and you need to act to defend it basically. But now we have much more complex values, many more values. And so when our values are at stake, those things get, can still be triggered, right? And the whole idea of mindfulness is to build in a pause between, you know, something like something, oh, there's a risk or there's a threat and I just automatically react, we want to build in a pause. And so it's interesting because I do think that's like this whole issue is at the core of a lot of other issues, right? Is this mechanism is, as far as I'm aware, literally like built into our brain because that's how we survived for a long time, like many animals survive now, right? Um, and so it's really interesting. And for what it's worth for me, I have a hard time thinking of whenever, what, of me ever fleeing like I was a fighter. I was always a fighter. And so, and even when, like, I even sort of 
automatize the process from a very young age. If I feel like fleeing, fight. <laughs> like I always pushed myself to fight, but I distinctly remember times when I didn't know how to fight, I'd freeze and I'd have my brain just freeze. And I like, it wasn't that I froze, it's that my brain froze. Cause if it didn't know, like it's easy enough in a, in a basic situation when it's fight or flight, literally, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, but yeah, when yeah. it's like, what <laughs> would it mean to fight? I don't know. So then I just, my brain freezes and I freeze, right? Mm -hmm. um, although just one last thing as an aside, you know, those moments where you're walking and you're about to face someone and then you both go left, right? And no one can pass each other. Mm -hmm. I always freeze now because it's the best way because they're going to go what I just and then <laughs> just I let them decide and, and you let, just uh, yeah I don't just, try and move so that's when I consciously decide to freeze um so I'm glad that you brought it up in that uh, in that way because um the way that I've been thinking about this is two ways which is one we have situations in our daily life where it's either one of two um it is either something that we deal with proactively or something that we deal with reactively. Um, and I was particularly interested on how this flight, flight or freeze response is related to burnout and mindfulness slash meditation. Because my belief is that this, uh, the turning on of this response, this fight, flight or freeze, and the fact that it gets turned on so often because um, we like when we had a use for this, for this response, it was when things were life or death. Now there's so many things, so many different values that we've never had way back when um, it's turned on more often and often leads to burnout because of that reason. So an example of this would be when you have multiple deadlines that are consistently coming up where you're always having to fight, flight or freeze. Uh, and you find yourself always having to react to things or stimuli or situations that are always happening in front of you. And so you get burned out and feel that, hey, you should just freeze or you should just try to run away from this specific uh, situation as often as possible. Um, and so I found that like one of the two ways in which you can really combat that problem is one, you either make a lot more of these situations proactive or uh, you fight the other side of the equation, which is you instead really articulate what things are worth fight fighting fight fight sorry fight flight or freezing for as well as finding out which one you often use and the example that i would use for that if you let me just riff a little bit longer is that i find myself fleeing often like I've, i'm a pretty good fighter but i found i found that i would um flee like if it was something that like i had to do right away i'd be like, you know i'll just do it later like i'll just figure it out later and it would just start to really like be on top of my mind, always be a problem for me until I had to do it the day after and I'd go into fight mode and finish it. And so the younger me, not knowing how to figure out this problem, I just decided I'm going to overload myself with deadlines so that I'm just going to consistently always be in fight mode. So I just get really good results. And I just found that as a way to like, I guess, compensate. Um, and in the, like, I guess it sort of worked in the short term, but in the long term. I just found myself burnt out more than I've ever been because I just really, really burned out that candle. So there's a few things there. I don't think I managed to hold on to all of them, unfortunately, because there was a big one at the beginning where I just <laughs> like you made a statement that I think in my impression, you made it as a generalization, a general statement. And I disagree with it as a general statement. You said that like we have more instances of fight, flight, freeze now in life. 
And I think many people do, but it shouldn't be the case, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. And so, and so I just don't want to say that like, oh, we just have it now. So we have to deal with it and understand how to deal with it. I think it's because people don't have proper understanding of their values and have a have a have an understanding of when something is actually worth worrying about and when that thing is at risk. And when you have clarity on those things, which I've worked very hard, like because three three years ago, I totally would have agreed with you. But now it's very infrequent that I ever feel like any of my values are at risk because I I feel like I know exactly what they are and I feel very efficacious about them. So like, it's very difficult for one of my values to be at risk, right? And so I don't have these triggers and that's actually a big part that mindfulness doesn't emphasize, but it works well with mindfulness, right? And so this is the value I've gotten out of objectivism, whereas it has helped me, you know, structure my thinking and structure my life such that I kind of don't have these triggers as much but what mindfulness really did, really helped with is when those triggers do come about, I'm able to deal with them more properly. More slowly or, more, or yeah. whatever is re um, required for that situation. When, and it's interesting, I think many people, like today's culture, today's society, the technology, we're just inundated with more information. There's more stimulation all of the time. So if you're not clear on what your values are, and also, if you have like a value attachment to stuff that isn't that important, then yeah, you're going to be triggered all the time because you're going to see people getting mad about your political candidate on Twitter and you're going to be seeing people not liking your or not reacting to your Facebook post properly. So if you have value attachment to your social media image, to your political views or whatever, then yeah, you're going to be like freaking out all the time. You're all, exactly. Your values will always be at stake, but like... I think then people don't have the right values, right? Like those shouldn't be that important. Um, and but there's two right, parts man. of that. What? Uh, and there's two parts of that, which is, I love how you, you included that, which is the meditation aspect, which is again, the making things more proactive in that like you create that little bit of space so you can think through how you want to react by this. Like that's like the whole CBD con CBT concept of like the elephant and the rider of making sure the rider has more time to, you know, calm down the elephant. Um, and then the other piece that you, you, you talked on, which is the, like the value judgment. Like I, I find we talk about it a lot about like, make sure you choose your value. So it's almost like a, like a starter at this point, like, or non-starter rather at it, this point. But um, it is like the most, one of the most central things to healthy psychology, I think. Right. Exactly. And one of the issues that we have by not doing that, like you mentioned, is that, um, we get turned on or triggered much more easily and I think there's one thing that you also need to give yourself credit for is that it's just the fact that you know what you care about and what you don't care about. Like you, it's that um, subtle art of not giving a fuck attitude. Like there's so many things where I was like, oh my God, this is a problem. And then you just be like, Winston, I don't care about that. That is no semblance to my life. And you're just like mute. Like it's that, that space has right. sort of taken over where you're like, sure. Like if you want to talk about it, I can tell you my opinion, but like, this is not going to make me like jump out of my seat because fundamentally I just don't care. And that's what's really, that is so in contrast with the expectations of the world today. And especially like we did an episode on political correctness, right? Like I'm supposed to be outraged every single day. And if I'm not outraged every single day, I'm a bad person, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, there's this idea of like, I need to show in my emotional response 
that um, I have the same values as everyone, right? Um, but I also want to say, like, I, you know, not to, uh, you know, get away from the topic, because I do think this still happens. And it's a, the fight, flight, freeze is a big issue um, with mental health generally, right? And, and for many people, like, regardless of if their values are organized well or not, like, they do have to deal with this. And I find it interesting that you say you're naturally more of a fleer, but then you found you built up stuff so you could fight more often. And it's literally, I'm still trying to learn how to do any productive work while not in fight mode, because I would just not care until it was like risk, because like, I liked like my brain being super adrenaline filled, turned on, get like, I could literally do, I could do like a week's worth of work in four hours because I would just ramp my brain up and it was like, I'm going to lose my job, better get everything done. Yeah, and I just yeah. got so used to it that my capacity is massive, right? But then I couldn't calm down from that. I get, I then, you know, like it's almost an adrenaline thing as well. So then you add more things and then you, I would literally like run, burnout, collapse, run, burnout, collapse, right? Um, but it's interesting because I also think um, my default at a young age, I think tended towards fleeing but I always did the extreme opposite of my impulse. So mm -hmm. I like overtrained the opposite response so that now it's like kind of wired into my, my brain that I do the fight thing. Um, and and I, I agree. I, I think I did the exact same thing and that was largely because of like bullying. So I was like, I knew enough from like the bullying ads that like the only way to stop funny. bullying is to stand up. Even when I like had some moments of someone literally trying to fight me, and I was trying to not fight them because they're bigger than me. Like verbally, I wouldn't be like receding, right? Like fleeing would be like running away from the, like I'd be standing there being like, I'm not fighting you. Here's all the reasons why, right? Like <laughs> it wouldn't be like, I'm not like fleeing into myself or like curling up into a ball or whatever it is, right? You still confront it, mm -hmm. even though I was trying to avoid a literal fight, right? Mm -hmm. And my, my guess with this is that like, and part of the reason why I got really interested was because of this whole concussion thing, right? You, you mentioned how like you just found your capacity was good enough that you could just put deadlines galore. And uh, when something was due the next morning, you'd get it done anyways. Um, now I found I could do that pretty well um, until like the end of university where I started like really putting everything, like you talk exams, midterms, all those things together where um, the only place in which I saw a chink in that armor or a chink in that strategy is when I ended up freezing because like you said, I didn't know how to act or how to fight this problem. So I just froze. So I think largely freeze is like a maladaptive response of you just not knowing which one of the two to, two to choose. So you get stuck like that. Um, and I don't know if people have seen that visual where there's that donkey between two bales of hay and they're so, they're so at odds between which bale of hay to choose that they end up dying because they don't move anywhere. It's right. like, uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen that, but it's like that. Um, and also I've seen it with this concussion thing, um, having gone through these, gone through the concussion, having a bunch of like issues with brain injury. Um, I found that I can't do that as much. Like I will run out. Like if I put a deadline, that's too, too late. I'll just realize that I don't have the time to actually finish on it. Uh, and so I've had to be a lot better and find better coping mechanisms or better strategies to, uh, fix this as opposed to just realizing as opposed to just going, I'm just going to sleep and then cram all of it till the end. Right. For me, um, 
like I built initially what I did is I built into my fight mechanism, like a fight, my own fight mechanism. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was like trying to figure it out. But the freeze is really interesting to me because like that, that donkey analogy or, or image or whatever, like that happens to me even. And I think this is like, it's important to note that it's not just a matter of like, big picture things or like life decisions or actual major values at stake. It's also, this is what your mind does like in any given instance, right? If there's, if it doesn't know what to do with, if, if it thinks there's a risk, like, I think, I don't think we'll have time to get into it um, potentially, but I have a theory I'm working on with respect to this fight flight mechanism being fundamentally related to depression and anxiety and mm -hmm. what, how the mind decides to, like deal with something it can't deal with or you don't know how to deal with but on a like on a you know item by item basis the most oftentimes i have a freeze response it's like on a given thought like i just don't know what to think right now like i literally just my brain doesn't know how to respond to this specific thing and that's kind of where i have the most experience with freezing and it's just like and, and i also think like most most situations you found yourself in when we've probably created this response, um, you probably didn't run into an, run into a situation where you didn't know what to do, right? Like um, the reason why I sort of agree with your initial like premises to your theory is that I do think anxiety and depression are in some way considered natural, right? Like they have a, they have an actual reason in our body. And back then, like if you're walking in the jungle, you should be anxious because there might be tigers and lions, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and what I'm trying to say is that like most of the time when that response was actually active, it was only run or fight. Like there wasn't like, how do you properly think about talking to your boss about missing a possible deadline? Like that wasn't, that wasn't something we had to think through. It was either run away from the situation or fight the person who's making you do this thing. And so I find that like freeze is probably, we find ourselves in freeze more often because there's more situations where um, it's hard to think about what the logical next step would be. Right. I definitely agree with that point. And like, that's where it comes up for me, though. I would say that, no, I, I, like a, a hunter gatherer doesn't have anxiety. He's alert, right? He's not like if he was freaking out, like anxiety is when you can't, when you're not really getting control and it's, it's like unnecessary thinking and worrying. Right. So if, if a hunter gatherer is walking through the forest being like, oh my God, is that a bear? Is that a bear? Is that a bear? Is that a bear? No, that's like, that would be an anxious hunter gatherer. He's just doing what he's doing, alert to things, right? And then there's the fight or flight response is automatic. What the anxiety is, is when it's like, when you think there might be a risk, right? So it's like, if he knew there was a bear and he decided to go get the berries anyways, then you're going to be in that heightened state. But we think we're always in that state, right? Like when you're in an anxious state, it's like there's always the bear there. And that's where the issue comes in. Is exactly. It's like the fight or flight mechanism is always on. But it's not the same as just like, um, like just like going generally, right? So I just want to clarify because it's not that like any time um, he'd be in the forest, he'd have the fight or flight uh, or he'd have the anxiety on. He would have it when he's at a unfamiliar place that he normally doesn't hunt at, right? Like, and that's, and I think well, you've this just is clarified. Where I disagree, right? That's where I disagree because like, 
what I've done in my work is I'm often still in unfamiliar places, but I'm so confident in my ability to deal with new situations and deal with the unfamiliar that I feel confident and not anxious even in brand new and complicated situations, right? So if he's the best hunter gatherer in his tribe, he's gonna be the one who's confident to go out and deal with these things and he doesn't have anxiety, whereas the other ones might have anxiety. And so that's what I'm saying is if you build your value structure, if you feel efficacious, then you don't have anxiety even in difficult and brand new situations because you know no matter how complex the situation is, no matter what comes out of left field, I'll deal with it. And and like and for a human, for me, my values are like the most important values cannot be taken because they're values about the type of person I am, the ability to do that in situations. So like my most core values can never be at risk, right? And like having that sort of selfish orientation and knowing I'm efficacious, then yeah, I don't like I, I don't have those issues anymore, or I largely don't have those issues anymore. And so uh, I still think we're you're pretty much just clarifying um, in that like in that the reason why you feel the anxiety normally, like right now, you probably don't feel it. And this is my hypothesis. And someone who's listening, please tell me if I might be wrong or if people are looking in a different direction and why. Um, but the reason that I, I would hypothesize that the reason that you're probably, you might potentially be scared when you're going into a situation normally, or like unfamiliar territory is because you're unprepared or you haven't done something, but now like you're pretty, you're pretty confident in your intelligence. You're confident in your preparation. You're confident in your abilities. And that's why you do well. Mm. But the point that I'm trying to make is that anxiety is there for a specific reason and it's usually like when done right, it's usually a good tell to say, hey, be prepared, be this, or like make sure it's basically a reminder, almost like a calendar in your head that telling you something is coming up. And what I mean by that is like, you know, that little tinge of anxiety that you come in when you have a test next week. I look at anxiety in its good form as just a reminder or a remembrance to be prepared for a situation. And in that, it's fine to feel it. You understand it. Then you'd be prepared for it for when the situation comes up. The problem is, is when you're consistently, like you said, always on afraid of everything that is going around, going along around you. And you consistently feel as if you're unprepared, unable, un, like you're always an imposter for everything. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head pretty well there. We're saying that like, it's not that you won't feel anxiety at all, but because you've got your values in check, if you understand your capabilities and stuff like that, you feel it a lot less often because you don't find yourself in that situation. Well, so I think we might, and I don't know which of us is right, but have a different view of what anxiety is, right? To me, anxiety is not a positive, right? Like there, it's, it, anxiety is when that mechanism is not acting appropriately. So there's, there's a valid point to have some amount of fear in some situations, some amount of, um, I can't think of the word, so maybe the word's anxiety, but- A hesitation. Like, a hesitation, sure. but to me, like it's, like it doesn't, like I think it's possible, I'm not always in this state to get to a state where that like, it doesn't even last a millisecond. Like the thought comes in and I just can, and it passes, right? I'm mindful. Oh, oh, are you worried? No, I can do the test, I, right? Like, and so it's, it doesn't even stick for a second, 
right? So I don't think those anxieties are needed or necessary or positive, right? Because again, I'm, I know I'm totally capable to live in the world, right? Like I am able to live, I am able to thrive and flourish and whatever happens I can deal with <laughs> like, and that's it, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no, none of these like little anxieties. And again, it, it, each realm is different and I'm not by no means perfect, but I know in certain realms I've essentially eliminated it. And for example, right now, the realm that's most difficult for me is with respect to like romantic relationships, especially I have a lot less practice and it's sort of like, I need to have that situation arise to then notice the pattern and deal with it and stuff. And so I, if I'm texting someone, if I'm texting a, a woman, then like that might trigger, but then it triggers a lot less. And then I can notice the pattern and I can just build in a stop and then eventually it'll dissipate and I won't get anxious when anyone messages me. And like it just dissipates um, with practice and with, you know, uh, thoughtful attention to it. And so I think those responses, again, like I'm very confident in, and I, in like each person's immense ability to kind of like create their own mind, right? And so again, yeah, I, I'm assuming my fight, flight, freeze response, if there was an explosion in my building right now, again, even the fight, flight, freeze response in that sense is not the right approach because I'm a rational being. I have a lot more content that I could think about, okay, what's the right, like, I don't know what it, my gut, oh no, run, jump out the, jump off the balcony, the building's on fire. No, okay, let me think. How much do I know about this situation? What's going on? What's the appropriate response? So like the fight, flight, freeze is, I, I don't think is like something we want to use, right? It's an archaic, to put it in that term, it's an archaic response mechanism. Um, and so, and then anxiety is just kind of like when that's on overdrive and you can just, no, this isn't, it doesn't, it's not valuable anymore because I can choose rationally with all of my knowledge, what the right thing to do is, right? What the right approach to have is and stuff. So I find, I, I agree with you mostly, but there are places in which I think you might be, um, uh, well, I, I personally think you might be a little bit wrong, but I also think that like it's contradictory to some earlier statements you you uh, like you may have made on what you believe anxiety is. Because, um, for example, like I know when we initially talked about anxiety, we talked about I, I mentioned that like sometimes I go through like a um, a scenario analysis of like every single possible scenario that's going to happen if I go and do X thing. And I said yeah. I found that fun, I found that enjoyable. And you mentioned that that's probably anxiety, which is overtly doing that. Um, and that, like, that's why I'm saying like the definition that you had now versus what you mentioned that as anxiety, I think it differs a little bit. Um, no, I, but th what I think that's still, I don't think those two contradict, right? Like the reason you need to run the scenarios in advance is because you don't think that when you just get to the situation, your mind can think of the scenario and deal with it appropriately. So you're no, worried that's just, I disagree. Cause for me, that scenario analysis is just practice, right? Like, it's it's the same play as role playing something in your head. Like that was the example that we had used. No, if you um, if you choose to do that playthrough, if you're in control of it and you're saying, oh, I you know this is an important meeting, 
I'm deciding I really want to make sure I'm doing it appropriately. Let like, you know, what kind of questions might they ask? If you want to do that, if you're choosing to do that, that's not anxiety. But if okay, that's fair. that process is just running and you can't stop it or it's hard to deal with it, that's different, right? Okay. So, and this is the point that I think um, more directly contradicts what, uh, what you said, which is, I do think, I think anxiety has an evolutionary, um, an evolutionary reason as to why, as, as to why we feel it. And the case that you're making is yeah. that evolutionary reason is now archaic. Um, and I think for the most part, you're probably right for most situations, which we've talked about, but I still think it's a good response for, um, some still pretty specific reasons, right? Like if a building is about to fall on your head, right? Like you're, um, and it might be a little bit exaggerated, but the fight, flight, or fight response, uh, sorry, fight, fight, flight, or uh, freeze response is there for that exact reason. When speed is more important than than thought. I definitely disagree. If I'm in a burning building. Forget burning building. If a tiger pops out of them anywhere, like your best decision is to run as quickly as possible. Um, uh, well, most of the time, like, like, but there are situ- some wild animals that if they show up, you're supposed to like go in the fetal position. Right. And, and like, if there's an appropriate response that I can learn from experts, that is what I would want to call upon. Right. And so I don't know, maybe the right response for tiger is run. Right. And so then it's easy enough. I can run, but like most people aren't presented in those situations, but in a building collapse or in a fire, the fight, the person who's anxious is not the person who want, you want to follow. That, that's not, you don't want to be the, with the person who's freaking out and trying to, oh my God, what's the right thing to do? Where's like, that's anxiety. They, they don't know what to do. They feel like there's too much to factor in and to decide, right? You want someone who knows what to do, who's thought about it and can just act rationally in the situation. Except in situations in which um, speed is more important than that thought. Um, no, because then, then if- and, and the reason being, there's this one very specific reason as to why I think it's still important is because one, you will never, at least this is, and I, someone can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I don't think you'll ever get to a point where you understand every appropriate reaction to every possible situation in which a fight, flight, or fight, fight, flight, or freeze would be uh, applicable. Uh, And and two, and hold on, and one sec, is um, also that I don't think, and hold on, I just lost it. I don't remember what it was, but I I don't think um, you'll, I think there are situations in which the, no, no, sorry. The person that you don't want to listen to in that burning building scenario that you talked about is the person who freezes, but the person who probably ran or fought the specific situation or like right away reacted when like the building was about to fall apart or whatever, that's not necessarily someone who's acted in the wrong way, especially given whatever the situation might be. If the building is just going to fall, you're probably best off running. Like you sitting and finding out what the best situation to do is probably not the best. If you're stuck in a building that's being taken over, you're stuck in like there's other situations, of course, it's contextual and context-based. Um, the response, the fight or flight response versus your rational thought, um, that's a toss up. It really depends on the context on which, which response is better. I, I fundamentally disagree, right? Okay. You, there's no reason that your rational response can't be immediate, but if, like the fight flight response is not using your mind, it's using your instincts, right? And, oh, a tiger comes up, you run into a, into, lava or whatever it is, right? Like 
um, a burning building, the person who has a flight response is the person who just sprints out of the building and doesn't have a calm, okay, make sure everyone's getting out or whatever it is. It makes me think of George Costanza in an episode of Seinfeld where he just like shoves the women and children out of the way to get out of the building, right? But see, David, um, I think there's something you might be missing though, is that you've, I feel like you, you're making the assumption that the response that you make with fight, flight, or freeze is always a bad one or one that does not have thought involved. No, I'm because saying you have the example no that I would no. use. The example that I would use that I think best illustrates is like someone like a professional UFC fighter, right? Like they've automatized a bunch of different things. They've automatized a bunch of different actions. They train, they think, do things like that. But when you talk to most fighters, like if you ask them what they're doing in that specific situation, they're almost always on instinct. Like they're rarely thinking about what's actually going on. They're just listening basically to their fight or flight response um, for most, you- for the most part. Well, for some situations, no, but for a lot of the fight, they're just focusing on their instincts that they've trained and allowing they're trusting their flight or fright response to win the fight. And this is where you're fundamentally wrong and conflating two different things. Their automatized training is not an instinct. It's an automatized thought process, right? That's different. A fight or flight response is an instinct, which you cannot, if humans even have instincts, which is debatable, right? A fight or flight response would be one, and that would just be automatic. So the exact, I think the UFC example is a good one. I was thinking of a paramedic or a firefighter, but they are not in fight or flight mode. They know that they're in an automatized mode, right? But that's been trained in. That's not a fight or flight mode. That's not instinctual because you cannot train into your 10,000 year old instincts if they're there, right? It's a different thing. And they would not, if the UFC fighter is in the ring and then all of, and it is the fight or flight mode, how do they control then? Which, what if they, oh, I'm, I'm out of here. This guy's going to beat me. I'm going to jump out of the ring. No, they don't do that. They, they, they know, right? But they run, they run in the cage, right? Like they'll stay away from the conflict. Not like sometimes for, no, they'll freeze not for five minutes. Not they're not yeah. just keep running. I don't think you've seen some fights. Some fights no, people I, go into full flea response where like they'll that, run away or they'll freeze and they'll go knocked out in the head uh, or like where, where freeze is the worst happens, response. They are failing, right? If the fight, if the freeze response takes over, they've failed because they're letting their instincts get the best of them. If their fight response takes over, they will just start flailing without. Uh, without you know methodology because it'll just be like when you're fighting for your life you're just gonna wail right you're just gonna go you're not gonna care about protecting yourself and like i i would argue having no experience watching ufc (laughs) the degree anyone lets those responses take over they will fail and i know that's going to be true for a firefighter or a paramedic who goes into a completely chaotic situation and it's not their fight response, it's their automatized training that kicks in, right? Because they need to be able to triage. They need to be able to think rationally about the right thing to do, not just be in a fight mode and like, oh no, I got to clean. Like, that's what I'm saying. So I think they're distinct things. You make a really good point. And I absolutely concede that like, that's, prob- that's probably a good distinction. And I don't know if the distinction exists, but that makes quite some sense to me. Um, but I, I, I still don't think... Uh, like you make a really good case as to why the fight or flight response is a bad choice 
um, in a lot of situations and probably in most situations. But, uh, and at this point, I feel like we'd just be arguing past, past each other. But I am personally and of the belief that there is still a need for it, um, I guess, just biologically speaking. But uh, I can see that's probably not the best response for most situations. But the fact, like, whether there was a need evolution, like in evolution or not, is irrelevant to today's context for fully functioning humans, right? So another example is the hunger mechanism. I don't need my body to tell me it's hungry if I know how much food to give it each day. Like it's an archaic mechanism because I used to need to eat when I got hungry. So it, it was important when we were animals, but now as rational humans, it's outdated. It's not necessary, right? But see, I think you're looking at hunger, like you've just simplified hunger way too simply because hunger also gets triggered for other reasons, right? Like for example, and someone could tell me if this is true, but uh, part of the cravings or the hunger that women feel when they're pregnant, for example, is because of some micro or macronutrients that they're missing, right? Part of the reason you might feel hunger on a given Craving day or is different given- than hunger. I'm no, but they might feel they might feel hungry for a specific item, or they might feel more hungry at certain times. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, at at different times in the day, uh, because of the fact that like their body needs specific sustenance for that area. Right, but but sorry about that. We have the ability. Like, I'm not saying it's never potentially useful. I'm saying that. If we had all of the proper information, it would become redundant, basically, right? So I would never, I don't need to ever be in a situation, right? So a pregnant woman could be able to know all of the nutrients she needs and have it all figured out. So I don't know the specifics of this craving, of, of pregnant ladies' cravings or whatever. And maybe we don't want to talk about hunger as such, but the whole idea that I'm trying to get at is just because something was useful for our species for a long time doesn't mean it's useful now. The context has changed, right? Significantly. Oh yeah, I, I, absolutely. The only the only place where we disagree is I still think this has some use. <laughs> uh, you think it's largely like completely not useful. Uh, that's the only place we disagree. Like an appendix, for example, I'm pretty sure an appendix is one of those things that we just don't need anymore. Right. No, <laughs> you know and I mean? Like, I don't think, like, I'm not in the group of people that thinks natural automatically means good. There's a lot of things out there in nature, which really suck. <laughs> no, no. And I, and I don't want to say that there's literally no case ever where a fight or flight response would be good. Right. If I'm, if I'm, I'm going to the U S soon, if I hear a gunshot, I'm running. Right. I'm, I'm running. I'm going to let that take control, right? And like, I, so I'm not saying zero, right? But I thought you were giving it far too much credit and conflating it with what I consider like automatized thinking processes, like being in the fight, being in a, uh, a being a firefighter or whatever. So, cause I, again, I think it's really relegated. And then you had also been attributing like positive attributes to anxiety, which is like that mechanism running wild. And it's like, no, someone going into a UFC fight shouldn't be anxious. Someone being a firefighter shouldn't be anxious, right? And like, again- um, Fair. And, and, and to your point, like, I think you really um, hit the point home that what you should be doing also is creating 
training or creating automatized responses to this. So there's as little situations where you have to do fight, flight, or fl- fight, flight, or freeze. Right. Like, and for is- example, like a big place where that's being talked about right now is in like police academies, which is those police officers. One of the issues is that they're using fight, flight, or f- fight, flight, or freeze. Yes, that's a really um, good example. Where instead you want them to rely on their training. And a big, big problem is that they get one day of training a year. So it's like, you should really automatize their responses so they don't they focus on their training as opposed to like you said their instinct. Right. Yeah, that's a really really good example of of where this factors in and I think generally what you did bring up towards the beginning was proactive versus reactive. And there's a difference if you choose to run the scenarios versus if your mind just runs the scenarios cuz you're anxious, right? And so it is important to be proactive and also to feel efficacious, right? That's a big thing. Um, To feel like you can handle the situation, right? There shouldn't be many, if any, cops that go into a call and are worried about dying because they have no clue what they're doing, right? Because then they're going to get scared. Their life is an important value to them. And they're going to fight because they have a gun. And if they run away, it doesn't do anything. If they freeze, they might die, right? So their response is going to be fight. But the issue is we don't want that response to ever take over. So they need so much training so that their mind is so automatized and they feel like they know going in, they can trust their automatizations because Mm -hmm. it's when the automatizations fail that the fight flight freeze takes over in those complex situations, right? When I, when I, when my mind freezes, I have lots of thinking automatized, right? But when my mind freezes, it's, it's like, it oh, just passed. It only takes like 1% past my automatizations. And especially because I feel like I've prepared a lot, then it's like, oh, I have no idea. I just have no idea, right? <laughs> um, and the, I just want to highlight one more thing though. The reason why I was so, I guess, specific on saying that there's like some positive to anxiety. What I meant by that is that one of the issues in therapy is people walk in with a mental health issue and say, I never want to feel this ever again. And one of the things that therapists often highlight is thinking that you'll never feel anxiety or thinking or having a goal that you'll never feel anxiety ever again is not a really good goal. The goal is that the good goal is that every time I feel anxiety, I am well equipped to be able to manage it and deal with the situation is a better goal. And like what I'm trying to illustrate is that cop that's been perfectly trained and stuff like that is part of them. Will part of them be feel anxious? Like, Oh, like I'm going out with a job that I have that I put my life on the line. Yes. They'll have feel that level of anxiety, but will they rely on their training? Will they care on their fellow man? Will they care about the police system? Things like that. Yes. So they know how to manage it and deal with it. And so that's what I was trying to say in that, like knowing that you're going into a job where you might um, put your life at risk and you, you want to go hug your wife goodbye, goodbye and give her a kiss before you go. Like there's nothing bad about, about that. It's about being able to manage it. Right. And yeah, and I want to clarify, I definitely think that's what you highlighted about. Yeah. The idea isn't that depression is bad. Anxiety is bad. But like, I want to be clear about there's a difference between like the ideal state and then most people's lives and what's going on. Because anxiety and depression are both good in that that's your mind telling you something is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. You have a value at stake that you've not thought through or it's at risk, you, you know, there's a contradiction in your thinking. These are important things, right? The same way a fever is an important thing 
it's good that you can get a fever, but you don't want to be feverish all of the time. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And so both anxiety and depression, but talk like they are important. They like, they're important that we have these mechanisms and yeah, definitely. We don't want to think when you're in one of these States, when you're in an anxious state, Oh, I just need to get out of it. And then the anxiety loops. Oh, well, you're anxious about your anxiety, right? Um, yeah. So I, I think that's an important thing to highlight. I'm glad you brought it up, right? That, yeah, you just want to work on understanding the anxiety. Why is it there? It's okay that it is there. It's a fact. It's something that's going on. How do we deal with it? But that, no, the actual like long-term ideal state is not like when the cop goes to work, it's again, the anxious thought comes up and you can just, it lasts one second or five seconds. Like, you know, okay, I'm putting my life at risk. I might not see my family, but like, if he really feels that every single day when he's going to work and that thought comes into his mind every single day, mm -hmm. that's not going to be pleasurable for him. Right. So when it does come up, you know, that's understandable. Right. But it's about understanding it. And I wouldn't call it anxiety if it's just those worries can come up once in a while. Right. I think that's the way I'd, I'd put it. Yeah. It's not a chronic problem. You're probably not going in for anxiety issues. If that's mm -hmm. just the, that that's, that's just the issues that you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, there's one other flip side on this that I want to, uh, that I want to touch on before we wrap up. And it's just about how to notice the fight flight or freeze response or a, a PSA to notice the fight flight or freeze response in those around you. Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes, especially as someone who probably hasn't done as much work in terms of dealing with their anxiety and thinking about their values and stuff like that. Um, be attuned to the fact that sometimes if someone hasn't done their values or hasn't gone through the work, they might be exhibiting their fight, flight, or freeze response. And be mindful of that when you want to like talk to that person. Or if you find that it's still important to talk to that person, know that this person is just fighting you right now. And you, you probably need to disengage for a little bit so that they're not just reacting anymore. They're like calm down a little bit before you talk to them. Because sometimes you're so forceful because you don't feel it as much that you're like, hey, why are you being so defensive? Or, hey, why are you running away from this conversation? Or like say something, right? Those are three very, very common issues that you run into conversations. And sometimes that's just because someone has this response and give them like half an hour and then come back to it. You'll probably have a lot of success. So this, this is a good example. I felt my response coming on because you were using you language. And so for a second, I thought you were literally telling me I specifically need to do this rather yeah. than, I don't know if you were, rather than presenting generally this, these are important principles. So perhaps you should learn to try using more I language, when I do this. but I could feel it. And so, yeah, I agree. I think it's important to notice in yourself and in others. And this is what mindfulness really focuses on is the bodily sensation, right? When you actually have a fight, flight or freeze, you feel it like it happens. And it's very much about paying attention to the bodily response because it's so quick, right? Oh, someone cuts you off in traffic. You feel it in your stomach or whatever it is. And that's how you can, can kind of notice it in yourself. And then in terms of others, yeah, it's quite easy sometimes, not always, but like their posture will, will change, their tone will change. And you can tell that they're just not in, they're not really there anymore because they're, you've, you've targeted their value or whatever it is. And that happens so often these days. One, I do think people are too sensitive and don't have a good understanding of their values. But also people are more combative now and people don't know how to communicate effectively these days. Mm -hmm. and or so just sometimes 
overuse one of the three responses. They just just fight all the time. They just run all the time. They just freeze. Right, and, and if someone just, is, tending- you need to like until I talked to my until I talked to uh, a mental health professional. Right, like I didn't realize until she walked me through the exercises that I tend to flee as a as a general rule until I'm in a position where I have to fight. Um, and that's why I tend to put things so early and this just, just happened. Like I didn't really think about it, um, like explicitly. Um, and I just found that like, it's, it's, it's such a huge difference when you start to realize yourself doing it. And even on this podcast, like when you, when you mentioned that there's a difference between automatized training versus fight, flight or freeze response, I automatically felt it. I was like, oh my God, like he just pointed me, pointed out that I said something completely ludicrous on air, like fight, flight, or fright, fight, fight, flight, or freeze. Right. And I felt it coming on and, and like, it took a second for me to think, oh my God, I said something wrong on air. Who cares? Like my family's intact. My life is intact. It's with David. That's why I like talking to David. If I just had everything right, David probably wouldn't be very interesting <laughs> to talk to. Right. And, and that's an important thing as well. A big way to get over the fight, flight, or freeze is to practice having it put at risk, right? So there's a common example, say hello to 10 strangers on the street. So you can get used to being rejected because you have, you can feel the anxiety. You can feel the body because you don't want to do it. You want to fight or fl- you want to flee. Probably you're not going to just punch the guy because he doesn't <laughs> say hi back. Right. But like, not cut a barista. <laughs> right. But it's like, yeah. So like, I tell, I try and get lots of people on different podcasts, right? Because they're worried that that response is powerful and they're not used to being in situations where it gets triggered. But the best way to learn how to deal with it writ large is to consistently put yourself in situations that are safe, that you predetermine to be safe, but then the response still gets triggered. Mm-hmm. It's like um, they find in uh, military vets, right? The chances of them having PTSD or mental health issues a lot lower if you prepare them for what they're what they're going to see like if you tell them you're likely going to see your friends die you're going to see atrocious like if you give them an idea of what they might see um they often come out automatically prepared so it doesn't like really throw them off that way um Mm -hmm. so it might be that might be a good proof to that idea when i and i think also uh one experience that my my friend tim who's a paramedic firefighter often talks about is he had huge ptsd until Uh, like one therapy session where she called attention to the fact that he actually did add value, even though a child died. Mm -hmm. Like that is all it took. Like you have, again, it often comes back to this value orientation. If they can focus that no less people died than they would have, if they weren't there, they did add value. You are, even though it's a difficult situation, it's still better than it would have been. That's another way. Right. So it's, again, you're not, you're not, turning in on yourself. You're not running away. Oh no, I've made this better. I'm adding value. I'm growing into the situation and I feel more efficacious and these sorts of things. It's very much a positive mentality around it. Yeah. That's like telling, uh, I'm, I'm guessing probably that was something along the lines of like, they probably had the family probably had someone to talk to or like someone to explain the situation with, like, was that the justification like the paramedic? No, it was just like in, he was, he says that Um, you know, in the paramedic culture, after a call, when he first started, you know, it was a car accident, he thought they did a really great job of dealing with the situation, he was all amped up, like, wow, we really did a good job, even though someone died, we saved this other person. And then they had this, like this feeling circle where everyone was supposed to talk about how miserable it was, how depressing it is, how sad it is. And so he was like, 
that started to get into his brain. Like, oh, like it's, it's hopeless. He can't save everyone. So it's just a hopeless job. And then he started to think, oh, wow, another kid died. Another kid died. I can't do anything. It's worthless. And then that's interesting. And like then the actual said, flip of that script where they tell sometimes like they tell you, like talking about this is the important part, the flip of that script and, of yeah, and, and he value said, orientation really changed the way he looked at his career. Yeah. And so he was in therapy. He was sharing this view with the therapist and she just said, you're telling me you didn't add any value to that call. And he was, and then he thought about it objectively, like, no, wait, if I was that parent, I'd want me there. I did the best. I explained to them. I kept them calm. No one could have saved their kid. It wasn't my fault. The kid died and they thanked me afterwards. And so like he realized the different view, right. And he could only do that. And it, it was like, he said in that one session, his PTSD went away. Right. I'd and be surprised how much of that is applicable when you look at some like jobs that people just find to be like benign and like useless, like the IT rep or like the customer service person that you call that like everyone yells at, like, I wonder how much of a difference it would make if you just tell that person, like, they're happy that it's you, like you're putting value, like they might've yelled at you, but they'd rather have you than a voice machine. Like, I wonder if how much that, like that change in orientation probably affects their, like, uh, their well-being that they feel at work. Like maybe it's something that's probably applicable and, and it's familiar. hugely applicable. And I think it does relate to this fight, flight, freeze, like to the degree you can focus on that. You're on, not on the defensive, right? You're just, you're, you're, you're much proactive. I think just generally when you're actually seeing the value you're uh, providing, but that's yeah, a man. whole other thing, but I think it's an important uh, topic. I, I think we should touch on uh, one, one of the key important things that you, that you mentioned that I think we should touch on in a different episode is the core beliefs and how they shape how you think about uh, a situation at hand. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a larger topic we can talk about in another episode. Yeah. And counterfacts is a, a fun concept that I think relates to that as well. Yeah. We mentioned it earlier on a, on an episode, so maybe we'll make it come back, but uh, David, that's all I got for today, man. Anything else? No. Nope. Awesome. I ended a little different this time. <laughs> talk soon, David.